And good evening, everybody. This is Bill Bacon sitting in for Peter Hawley. I'm the associate chair in the film department at Flashpoint Chicago. Uh, I want to thank Peter for the opportunity of uh, sitting in his chair tonight. I feel a little bit like I've been loaned the keys to my older brother's car, and uh, I just hope that we don't end up in the ditch. Uh, tonight we speak with uh, Michael Galbincia. He is the chair of the digital art department at Flashpoint Chicago. Uh, we talk about uh, a variety of interesting things, all the way from his, uh, his influences and his career path that led him through uh, Cleveland and the Art Institute in Chicago, School of the Art Institute in Chicago, and uh, on to teaching uh, some of his, uh, his influences creatively, as well as some of his challenges and uh, uh, successes as a teacher in the arts. So uh, hope you enjoy the show, and here's Teaching in the Arts with Michael Galbincio. So uh, we are here with Michael G. I say Michael G. because how do you pronounce your last name? Uh, Galbincia. Well, Gal- Galbincia. So not yeah. Galbincia. That both technically it would be Galbincia if we went with the Romanian pronunciation. Romanian. I yeah. thought it was uh, Italian. That's how I got my wife. Uh, no, my grandpa when he came here, he wanted to. Um, they wanted to kind of make it as Italian sounding as possible because he thought he'd have a better chance of getting a good job. Nice. So. Uh, and when did they come over? Uh, my great grandpa was early um, 1900s. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's when my uh, grandmother came over. Yeah. So I'm 50% Romanian and 50% don't know because my mom was adopted. But yeah. there you go, there you go. So we are colleagues at uh, Flashpoint College, and uh, tell us what you do there, and how long you've been there, and how you got there. Oh, great. Well, I, uh, I'm the department chair for the Digital Art and Communication Program, uh, which means I get to oversee and work with both the Digital Art and Animation, the VFX program, and the Graphic Design and Interactive Media programs. Um, my passion is being creative, and teaching kind of fell easily to me. Um, I love being in a room full of people and talking. Um, so it, it was a good fit. And uh, I, I started out at Flashpoint to um, help build out the online program. And then um, just through working with the academics team, kind of switched over. Uh, when I when I teach, um, I get to teach motion graphics, um, simple animation, and then um, Photoshop and Illustrator and some of the digital tools. But um, my, my background mainly was uh, I, I do... Um, illustrations and live video mixing type stuff um, and uh, just art that makes me giggle. <laughs> there you go. And uh, one of the best offices on campus, you know, <laughs> very lively. Um, so how long have you been there now? Uh, I started in January of 2015, so just about three years. Okay. So what was the road leading up to oh, man. Flashpoint? I know uh, we, we talked a lot about this. It's a yeah, long, yeah. long no, and winding no. one. So um, kind of... Uh, short story of it is uh, I was in Ohio um, and I went to school at Cleveland State and I studied um, mass media communication theory and broadcast communications and I, I was going to be a news producer. Um, that was where I was, I mean, I was hell bent for leather. That's where it was going. And I started interning and working and I, I worked for Fox News out in Cleveland for a little bit and I worked for um, a couple great live production companies, but I, I quickly realized that that wasn't my world. Um, and I, I, I talk about this a lot, but I was always doodling and drawing and painting and I, I was a theater kid. So I had my own theater company while I was in Cleveland 
And uh, a person who was very influential in my life at that time was like, you should study and make documentary films. I think that's, like, you've got a calling for it. Like, you, you should tell, tell stories. So I, I looked into grad schools and I ended up at SAIC, School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Um, and I ended up doing anything but making documentary films. Um, I fell in love with everything technological. So it was 1999. Um, digital video had kind of taken hold. I was able to do live video mixing um, with like just taking tools and reimagining how they would be used. Uh, large form illustration pieces based off hip hop lyrics. Um, and as I was doing that, I found myself more and more in a classroom later. And at Cleveland State, I had done this too. I was a TA just helping people. Um, I feel like uh, if you can get the um, tools out of the way, people can be creative. Uh, and what I mean by that, and I, I tell students a lot at, at our school this all the time, is that uh, the initial steps, so um, in my department specifically, learning Maya or learning Photoshop or Illustrator, it sucks. It's not always fun, right? But once that program becomes second nature, then it's just, I can create anything I want. Right, like it's right. it's it's like unlimited, right? So, um, I found myself just more and more becoming a teacher, sitting with people, talking with people. Um, I, I got a job at a, a startup that was about teaching, and we were supposed to teach digital video via animation. And it just one thing led to another, and I thought teaching was like it's when you know if something feels right. Um, I was like, hey, I I, I want to be able to earn a living. I want to be creative. So how can I do this. So I started teaching as an adjunct and designing freelance. That was in 2002 um, at a school called the International Academy of Design and Technology. From and there- That's in Chicago? It, it's closed now. Okay. Uh, it became, oh man, I don't know. It, got, it became something else. Uh, and then it, it uh, Sanford Brown. Okay. And then it-, it and Then it, it became closed. Then it became closed. Yeah. Um, and it was a great school. It's where I, I met some of the most talented people in Chicago, made me learn what a community Chicago was. So SEIC was one community. Uh, IDT was another community of creative humans. Um, and so I started really falling in love with this idea of meeting people who were working. And at the time I was 26 years old, 27 years old, I was with adults who were earning a living, a good living to me, like, and teaching and being artists. So that made perfect sense. So I, I, I started following that path. Um, to get back on track to what led me to Flashpoint, uh, the adjunct life was fun for a single human. Um, but then I, I got uh, married. Um, I had a son. And working at six different schools really was a struggle. Oh, my um, gosh. Because that's what you, I, I mean, there's, yeah. to earn a, I wanted to earn as much money as I could, you know, and thirsty. Sure, I was thirsty. Sure. Um, and then... Uh, full-time education gigs were nowhere to be found in like 2006, 2007. Everything was adjunct in the city of Chicago. Right. Um, so I quit teaching. I went and worked for a place called Trial Graphics, which where I did litigation support animation. I was an art director there. Artists for lawyers. Yes, yes. yes. I, art for law. Yeah. Um, which was amazing. One of my favorite experiences ever. But um, it was kind of one of those things where I was like, those who can't do teach, well, uh, well, well, well I'll, I'll show myself. And I, I just did it. Um, so what, what was amazing about trial graphics? Because to me, that sounds like it could be um, a, a fairly staid 
restrictive job, but you did, didn't you do like? Uh, I did some crazy trials, and that's yeah. kind of what it was like. It was that. It was always that. Uh, okay, so we had some really nothing's more boring than a- trying to animate like the financial records of a bank, <laughs> and on on this date in two thousand four, two thousand dollars was spent, and the little flag pops up, right. ding, right. like it's terrible, right? right. But the other side of it is uh, the Department of Justice was suing BP. So we got to do animations showing like how much oil was flowing out of one of the wells that hadn't been capped correctly. Uh-huh. And so then we get to make these analogies. So one of the lawyers was like, it's like Niagara Falls. So we got to animate a Niagara Falls of oil. And it wow. was a really cool visual. And um, really gets a point across. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but what what ended up happening there is it was all the animation for twelve offices ran through Chicago. Uh, I had uh, a second child, and all of what I thought was going to come from a nine to five job didn't happen. Like I was right. working twelve, eighteen hours days. Uh, I just not a good human, you know, burnt out. Right. So. Uh, that's when I was like, I gotta get back into education. That's that was my sweet spot. Yeah. Um, so on the way over here, you told uh, just to backtrack a little bit when you were st- or just leaving SAIC. I think you told me about how you got into an incredible opportunity oh. in Houston. Yeah, uh, yeah. Can you can you I'd love to tell uh, us about that? So um, yeah, I, again, every good thing that's ever come for me or for me in life has just kind of been happenstance. I'm a firm believer that like you're in the right place at the right time and around the right people and and maybe just don't be a jerk and and great things can happen. So while I was at SAIC, uh, I was in the film, video and uh, new media program. It's the first year they kind of merged them all together. And I always had huge ideas. So I was going to make this animated video based on this rapper, Cool Keith, who has multiple personality disorder. So every time Keith put out an album, he'd have a different persona and he lived it. So he would be Black Elvis and he would wear like a rubber Elvis mask and cowboy boots, or he would be Dr. Octagon and he would be this like gynecologist from the year 3000 and (laughs) rap stories about that. And I loved this guy. I fell in love with the uniqueness and craziness of it. So I was going to animate each of these characters as a superhero. Well, my advisor, this uh, wonderful Art Jones was like, hey, um, why not just do big, huge panels. So I did 36 by 24 on Masonite illustrations of Cool Keith in these different characters. And each panel uses his lyrics as the text for the comic. Um, This art was like, this turned out brilliant. Like he saw something in it I didn't even see. So he took it with him to PhotoFest in Houston in um, 2001, uh, uh, no, 2002, sorry. And uh, from there, we we did a showcase and we did a live video mixing performance. And it was just a great, great evening. And um, I was able to show with some brilliant artists, uh, Jennifer Reeder and uh, some other people. And I was like, I won. And then I got home and about three months passed and a phone call came and it was a lady. She's like, hi, this is Valerie Cassell from the Houston Museum of Contemporary Art. I'd love to to show your Heroes Will Never Be Cowboys pieces in in, in in the show and I, I, I to this day I, I still like can't believe it happened like uh, I, I I had a moment in my life where I stood in a room where my work 
four pieces were uh, across the way from Andy Warhol and uh, a Murakami statue was out in front of it. And it was just in- insane. So, I, so that I, happened. That happened. Yeah. Uh, and, and totally lucky. Like, I, you know, I was lucky for it. Um, but it was awesome. But it just, it was one of those things where uh, I, I just believe like um, the being creative, the creative process, like I never, I never turned it off. So I'm an educator and I'm creator always. Like uh, That's fantastic. Who, who would you say your influences are? Did you get a lot of support growing up at home and uh, things like um, that? Actually, yeah, I have to say, like, um, my dad was uh, is an artist. Um, he he would uh, paint and uh, um, master of the knee drums and uh, yeah. Um, but like in general, paint, draw. I've been drawing since uh, I can remember. Um, like it comes natural. Like it just flows out of me. Like I'm not great. I don't consider myself like a uh, master artist on any level. Everything I do ends up looking like a comic book. But I, I, I love it. It's it's um, so my dad, my my grandfather, his dad, he drew brilliantly. He was a a, um, a a tool and die guy for the Ford factory in Cleveland, right? My dad was a bodybuilder, auto mechanic, painter, and and so like they always did it. But um, you know, maybe I feel like back in that time. It's my grandfather, it was the 30s and 40s, and my dad, it was you know the 60s and 70s. Maybe the pressure to to make a living as an artist wasn't as yeah off. I feel it's off for me because there's so many different places I could go with it. Um, but I was always support. I've never had this is something I'll say in my life. I've never had someone like belittle me for for being an artist uh, or or like put, say like oh that's stupid. Like even when I wanted to be an actor, like I, I wonder if you would have met me at like any other point. Uh, post 24, like 24 and earlier, I wasn't going to be a movie star. I was Michael J. Fox, like whatever, with, nice. with a skateboard haircut. Like, you know, like, um, and but, you did a lot of skateboarding, right? Yeah, 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 I did all of that, the Southern oh. California nonsense. Uh, but the idea is like, I, no one ever was like, Michael, acting is not a career path. Um, and, and that, again, part of it, Southern California, dude who lived across the street from me, made miniatures for movies. He worked in film. I, I it was never like, oh, that's, where that happens, I was lucky enough to live in a space where maybe creatives were a viable thing around me in, right, in, in, right. in that part so, of it. So you grew up in Southern California, and then how did you get to Cleveland? You, uh, I was, was born in Cleveland. You were born in Cleveland. So we, I lived there till I was five. Okay. And then we moved to California because my dad uh, was a bodybuilder and uh, worked out at Gold's Gym and, and lived that whole wow. experience. And uh, we moved to, yeah, San Diego area. Um, and I lived there and I graduated high school, 92, graduated, farted around for a bit, uh, surfed, skateboarded, goofed off. Um in 93, I moved to Cleveland to go to college. Wasn't UCLA in there at some point, too? Uh, it, it, my, yeah, no. No. <laughs> you drove by. Yeah, yeah. It was a a, a, a thought. Um, uh, but the idea is, yeah, like I farted around. I goofed. I didn't. I had fun. Yeah. A lot of fun. And then what ended up happening is I uh, moved to Ohio, and my grandparents were there. And they kind of were like, hey, Dickie, you, you're a ship without a rudder. Let's give you a safe har- harbor. Give you a place to stay. Um and same thing though, like uh, I, I tell my grandma, like uh, this goofy kid with green hair, come home and be like, I started a theater company down in Tremont, and she'd be like, Awesome! What are you gonna? What, what, are you gonna do a play like Grease? And I'd be like, No, we're gonna do Mammoth. And she'd be like, I don't know that one, you know. <laughs> but it was great. Like I always supported. Never 
I think my all-time favorite quote, my grandmother was, she's passed away, but she was my, one of my closest, uh, I love her to death. Yeah. Um, so I was graduating from SEIC. The work that ended up going to Houston was filthy, so vulgar. Like the words in it were just not good. Right. And she stands there and she's staring at it. And she was like in her 80s at the time. And she just looked at me and she goes, Michael, I love you. And I see that you have talent. But sometimes I think I just want my brook to look like a brook. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, got it. Like, you win. <laughs> yeah, so fun. Um, well, the, the importance of getting that support, um, I think, is huge because I think we both have seen students who didn't get that and have to struggle to kind of oh, justify. Man, um, tell, us, tell us about experiences like that. Well, first off... Just, and talk about teaching, too. Yeah, uh, that's having, why we're here. Having, uh, having students... Is, is like uh, a life-changing experience. So anyone who's ever taught, there's something transformative about it if you let it happen to you. So you start becoming more empathetic and you start kind of even being aware of maybe things you weren't aware of before. And so for me, um, without getting too much into it, I, I used to be a really kind of, not arrogant, but like I had a little of that like Zach from uh, Saved by the Bell, a little of that Ferris Bueller, like I was always just gonna get through. Right. You know, I was slick. Right. Um, and so, so, so the idea of like needing support, it never came into my mind because in my mind I was always okay. Cool. Right. I'm good. I'm an artist. Like, hey man, I got my friends. I got that, you know, whatever. But now like you look back and I'm like, man, you, I did need people. Like I, and luckily I had them, but I just wasn't aware of it. Like my grandparents and some of my family members and my dearest friends. Right. I see our students and I mean, I, I as a chair, I, I try to be as um, out and about as possible. I, I don't hide from my students. And I even think the students in the other departments know me just because I, I, I talk a lot. Um, right. And you, a lot of energy, too. <laughs> a yeah, little bit. Which, yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, students come and I'm, I'm, I'm okay. If our students have an issue, it's almost always they need some support. Whether it's uh, my mom and dad don't agree with my choice of going in this career path, that's that's like a big picture one, right? right. But like, I don't have money to take the metro. Um, I don't have a safe space to do homework. Uh, all of these, I have to work three jobs because you know I'm financially responsible for A, B, and C. All of these things are the things that that require support. So as a school. What I find ourselves doing more and more is setting ourselves up for success to be able to support them. So it starts with kind of uh, revving up our empathy engine and not being like John Hauserman in the paper chase and being like, I'm a teacher and you will learn and Mr. You know, like all right. that nonsense. But also the other part is, um, and, and this is speaking a lot to just what the overall academics team in the, the uh, schools, and I think schools in general are doing though, is that people are looking at students and instead of being like, that's a challenge. Eh, I don't want to do that. Instead, they're like, that's a challenge. I know there's a solution for it. Let's try to figure out a way. Cause if we can help this person, then we can help the next 10. Right. Right. So like at our school, it plays out a lot with like retention. Hey, if a student's missing a lot of class, is that going to mean they're going to drop or how is it going to hurt their grades and kind of be proactive and, and work through it? Right. But it all starts from coming from a point of caring. Hey, um, college is not cheap. 
you're going to waste money if you don't, if you don't succeed in our, and, and, you know, and, and you're not going to learn, you're not going to get the outcome of it you want. So let us support you. Let us try to help. Right. But, I mean, having it in your home life, you're already ahead of the game. Right. Um, right. Like you're winning, right. Or having a, a relationship that the other person supports you, your partner. Right. Um, I think that's huge. My goal for my department right now, um, I, I want, our students to feel supported by our other students. That's uh, and, and so how do you foster that? How do you foster that? Yeah. Um, no, I, I I'm doing some small stuff. I the students really wanted an esports club, video game club. Um, set that up. Peer tutoring. Do a lot of stuff like, oh, you need help? Let's hook you up. Like student A, student B. Student B's having problems with modeling. Can you help? And student A's like, yes. And then that part of thing. But the other part of it is in my class, kind of doing more open ended. Like, hey guys, how would we? How would we? How how would we do this? Um, so instead of me always answering the questions, getting them to answer questions sure. for each other. Problem is though, uh, and I. I this is just, again, I don't know if it's coming from the education process prior to getting to us. A lot of these students don't, and I hate saying that phrase, sorry. I don't mean these students, that's not that's not me. Like, But the students, our student body is a better way of putting it. Our student body very much um, see asking for help as a sign of weakness. And for as emotionally connected as our current generations are, so millennials like are way more willing to be emotional I'm way more willing to be emotional than my dad was. Right. That you know, my my ten year old, I love it. We go to baseball game, and man, the kids all cry, and I'm I I, I see it as like this is awesome. And crying <laughs> in baseball, Tom Hanks. But like, no, it's crazy. Like, okay, when I was a kid, if I would have teared up after striking out, it would have been hell to pay. Right. Right. But like these little guys are fourth and fifth graders and yeah, they, they're hard on themselves and that part I hate seeing, but at the right. same time, like being open to being like, I need to emote and I'm going to do it. Interesting. Um, but I think part of that slowly becomes like, if I ask for help, I'm weak. Okay. If I'm seen as struggling, that person's not going to, I want this person to think of me as a great student ego, right? That right, idea right. of identity and ego. And so like our students, I just want them to feel like I, and at the trust tree to quote Will Ferrell from, you know, the, that movie, but like the idea of like, when you're here, who cares? Like, right, go, exactly. go, go nuts. This is, this should be the place. Yeah. And just, you know, them knowing that you care and that you're putting it out there that I think that really lays the groundwork and then they're going to do what they're going to do. Um, but it's a, it's a hard thing to, to ask for help. And it's, um, the other thing that I always kind of struggle with, and I asked Peter about this when I was on the show was, um, I sometimes have trouble figuring out when to be tough and when to be lenient. And do you I see that same thing? the hardest time. Yeah. Um, well, ba basically it's part of my personality, right? Yeah. Uh, so. Cause you know how hard it is to be really good at doing something. Hey, yeah. I know how much work it, it takes. Right. So that's, that's, if I ever get frustrated in my class and I, I will have a moment, I, this week in my motion graphics class on Tuesday, I had like, I was doing a demo. I probably repeated it five times and still like these students were chit chatting and talking oh and God. bustling and rustling. And I, I, I was like, in my head, I had to have a moment, like how hard of a line do I draw right now? Like, am I going to be like bad cop to the bone? Like, out in the hall now, you know. Right. Um, but it's it is a really fine line to to kind of negotiate or navigate that kind of um good cop, bad cop, right? Right. Um I, I really think, 
here's where I've landed on it. Consistency. So, um, as long as I'm consistent in my reaction and my responses towards things in the classroom for all students. So if there's behavioral issues, if I act the same, right. Uh, I, I'm, my biggest goal is to never let frustration show in the classroom. Cause if a class sees you're frustrated with them, then they win. Right. In my opinion. But, but the idea is, uh, you can't make someone care. So this is going to kind of also piggyback a little bit to something we were talking about in the ride over. Um, my flashpoint, like the idea of a flashpoint, the school's name is flashpoint, right? And that's the idea of something taking over to the point where it can't go back. Like right. it, it's erupted and there's no putting it back in the bottle. Right. That is what I am shooting for to get out of our students. So when I get frustrated, it's mainly just because, hey, I care. Why don't you? Right. right? And that's a very selfish, that's, a, that's, that's making it about me, right? And not about the student. But at the same time, the artist in me, the creator in me can't reconcile not just, I couldn't be any other way than I am. Right. And I have a, a, my hugest flaw in life is that I've all, I'm always like, hey, I'm this way. Why aren't you? <laughs> um, but with students, that's that's it. Like I'm like, man, where are your notes? I didn't take notes. Come again? Like how are you going to remember this? Like right. it's it's a process. It's a procedure. Well, it's, and that's another thing I, I wanted to ask you was um, I know a lot of what we do is hands on and production work and it's collaborating and it's all of that. Um, how much do you expect students to take notes and to kind of do research and kind of more typical university type work? Uh, I want them to. Yeah. Here, okay. So is that I, part of your classes built? All built? my classes have a component of research okay. in all of them. So to give you a perspective of my motion graphics one and motion graphics two class, uh, I, I've kind of changed my way of teaching it. So. Um, motion graphics one is very much about learning the skill set. So you're going to learn After Effects. You're going to learn how to import any and everything into it, and you're going to make a move. And I'm going to we're going to go over some of the theory. I'm going to show you a ton of examples, and you're going to maybe do some research into kind of the background of it as an industry and career paths. Oh, great! But okay. it's very much focused on that, and you make some you make some projects. Like, but they're not. It's just not about you stretching your creativity or, or, or really flexing your muscles. It's like, hey, here's a nail, here's a hammer. Right. There's the wood. Let's do this drill right. a bunch of times until it makes sense. Motion graphics too then allowed me to kind of grow and say, okay, now you know the software. Here are six projects. You're responsible for three of them at the end of the 11 weeks. So you pick and choose which three you're going to work on. I'm going to help you get there and we're going to be kind of self-directed and, and, and the students really have kind of responded to that way of going about it. Like now, you know, the how let's just do the do and then have some fun doing it. Um, but it, it's kind of changed. I had to change my educational philosophy from being like, everything had to be very structured. Every student had to do the same right. project. Um, kind of just shake it up a bit, but that might not work for all classes, right? But the idea is you have to try to get students to engage that creative. And, and what I noticed is that students didn't just not do the work in motion graphics too, 
because they kind of felt that investment. They they right. they felt that ownership of being able to pick and choose what project they wanted to work on. Um, well, the, and that's the you know uh, what's brilliant about that is you gave them constraints. You gave them six choices. They had to do three. They had a lot of latitude, but there were some guardrails there. And I'm I will say it's not all free will. Right. So what I'll say is okay. There are two projects that are typography based. Two projects that are logo based. Two projects that are narrative. So they're doing a logo. They're doing. Uh, a narrative, you know, so they're doing things that will fit into boxes you can check in a portfolio, right, right. but they're given a bunch of options. Because I'm, I do that as well, but I, I'm kind of guilty of giving them too much free reign, I think, where it can get, you know, if you're not careful, you can get away from you. Yeah. And so that's nice. I'm, I'm going to steal that from you. Oh, I think. So, steal so, anything. You, so you you mentioned your educational philosophy. What, but just what, the idea of like trying to trigger someone to the point, okay, so to get uh, overly simple with it. I am a firm believer that everyone starts off creative, 100%, right? So uh, when you're a kid and you draw, you draw. I do art chat at my kids' schools, and I never see someone who doesn't at least try. And they do something, and it's always crazy. It's nonsense. It's like pink clouds and this and that, right? But it's pure creativity. Walk by a kid's room. They're talking with their action figures. They got a doll. They're doing this. They're doing that, right? Sooner or later, where this starts to wear away is they're told, no, 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 don't do that. You can't do right. that. No, 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 don't do that. Do this. No, 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 don't do that. Sky's blue. No, 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 don't do that. Clouds are white. No, 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 don't do that. And it just gets whittled away. And it takes actually the stronger people to be like, no, 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 no. I'm going to keep this, right? So I believe what happens is it just gets compartmentalized. And I don't believe anyone would be in a class that I teach if they didn't have that in them somewhere, right? So I always feel like it's my job to ignite that so that they care about whatever it is I'm going over as much as I do. And the only way to do that is to kind of live it, right? So you talked about my energy and whatever, but if I don't look like I care about what I'm teaching, the students aren't gonna care about what I'm going over. So maybe I do tell too many personal stories or crack too many wise jokes or what, you know what I mean? But like the idea to me is I want it to be an experience for them to learn from that experience, learn from, you know, even if it's a stupid story, they're going to walk away being like, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't buy a six pack of beer on credit card when you're in college because you'll be paying it off when you're 44, you know? Right, right. But the idea is to be that flashpoint, to trigger them to the point where like they come in to my class and they're like, hey, I did this last night check it out. I'm like, what? Well, there wasn't any homework assigned. Like, that's awesome. You know, yeah. um, it's a fight. That struggle is super real. Sure. Um, and, and especially when we have students, I have some students that are working overnight jobs and they'll did, come straight in from, you know. How, how, could you, you have done that? Um, uh, no, I don't I, think so. There's just uh, no, not consistently. Dude. I mean, I would do some pretty crazy things. I'd work long nights, but that's, I mean, the challenges right now are just amazing. And uh, a lot of, you know, uh, come from, uh, you know, personal situations that are challenging, you know, they're commuting and then, you know, jobs, almost all of our students are working now. Uh, back when I was in school, that was, you know, some students were working. So that changed your perspective as an educator for like what you think they're able to achieve while they're in school? Um, I try to, I try to keep them, 
uh, challenged, um, I give them leeway. You know, if they, it, I, what I really try to do is if they they have a problem or they think this is getting in the way, they need to come to me first, and I'll I'll work with them absolutely. I think that's. <clears throat> I mean, I, I, but then you again. That's the thing I asked about, though, is that you know when is when are they taking advantage of it? And to be honest with you, there's very few that do take advantage of it. So, I, uh, in my experience, I would say yeah, no, man. I, I had I, okay, so. I had a, when I first started teaching, I mean, I wish I wouldn't have said the name of the school now. I feel bad. So it was literally my second quarter there and I was teaching an intro to video class. And so there was a student who, and I, I mean, I, I'm ridiculously close with my grandparents. So she, she missed class and she wrote me an email and she was like, Michael, my grandma died. I couldn't come to class. I wrote back like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like my heart goes out to you. Can't even imagine it, right? So uh, about two quarters go by, have her in another class. And this time it was a midterm and her roommate came in and her roommate was like, Michael, da -da 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 -da, she can't be here. Her grandma passed away. Da -da -da -da. I'm like, oh my gosh, like within a year, she lost both of her grandparents. I want to hug her. I feel so horrible. It's awful. Oh, heartbreaks. So then uh, flash forward two years. I, we're at graduation. You know where this is going. <laughs> we're at graduation uh, and uh, I, I'm, I'm like one of the, you know, the marshals and I'm in my big bright red, you know, costume regalia. And all of a sudden student comes over and she's like, hey, family, I want you to meet one of my favorite teachers ever, Michael. This is my mom, my dad, my grandma, my grandma. And I was like, like flames. I was, and I was just like, hi. And I, just, <laughs> I walked away. I, I was so. Because you generally get two of them, right? I wanted yeah. to just scream zombies. Yeah. And like, <laughs> but, you know, but like uh, the idea is that's just, so after that, I was like, I, don't tell me excuses. I don't want to hear excuses. I'm going to trust you're an adult. Right. Like, um, but I, I, I always try to act, I say that, right? But you know, if someone comes to me and they're like, yeah. Michael, da, 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 I have this, this, and this, I'm going to be like, I'm going to work with you. I'm going to figure it right, out. Right, right. We did have two years ago, we had a, a, <clears throat> a wave of grandparents that were not doing well. So, oh, that stinks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then so, they got right out of the ground, yeah, popped it, right back up. Um, so, what would you say are the biggest challenges and biggest successes you've had teaching uh, in the arts? I think the biggest challenge for me and will always be my biggest challenge is to get people to see the good before they see the negative. So huh. uh, how many times have you ever had this happen? I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but like a student will start talking about their work and they'll say, well, this is my project, but you know, here it is. Right. right? No. No, like, don't do that. That's my challenge. Like, and it always has been where I'm like, if you don't love your work, no one will love your work. And I'm not saying embrace the, the suck, like, right? Like, it doesn't, like, if it's bad, it's not good. Right. But there's something in it that's good. Talk about it in that way, right? Uh, don't have short-term memory when it comes to your work. Remember your steps. Talk about your process love it as much as you, 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 you should. Right. Or pick one thing about it that you <clears throat> love. Yeah. And then <clears throat> for me, the biggest success has been seeing people who like you, you, okay. When I, and again, past life, I worked at another school and in the VFX program, I, I would get to see students from like intro to motion graphics all the way through to like senior project. And then portfolio review. 
So a portfolio review would be show 13 projects in front of a panel of 14 to 10 instructors and department chairs and have them give you feedback. And watching the students go through that and how proud they were of like the work they did and even getting the feedback and then just watching that whole process was always my favorite moment of teaching. Like, because you very rarely get to see a victory lap and at the end of it, even though it was like a gauntlet, like, you know, the students were getting feedback and some of it good, some of it bad, uh, just that, that feeling of like accomplishment, like look at these pieces I did. And then as the instructor, knowing how much blood, sweat, tears, revisions, <laughs> went into getting it to that point. To me, those were like my, my biggest successes. That's great. Um, and what remains kind of the biggest challenge, do you think? Oh, man. Getting people to care. Yeah. It's so weird. Like, I don't yeah. know. Uh, and I, I guess it just, again, falls back to like, to me, it's foreign not to care. I care about too much. <laughs> yeah. And maybe they're just scared to care. Like if they actually, I mean, we, you know, we have students in the past where, um, they can do good work, but if they really commit, then they have to find out that, you know, maybe they're not as good as they think they are or they have further to go. I mean, it's there's there's all kinds of reasons to kind of hold yourself back, I think. And, oh, yeah. Uh, so I think that's, again, one of the challenges we have to help them get past. So um, I, I know talking about seeing your students succeed, we had a um, – I'm working with somebody now who uh, I hadn't seen in a couple of years, and uh, they came back with this where they edited – a scene from a, a big action movie and they just shot for shot and it was like where did that come from it was like the, and I said you know that's the best action editing that I've seen at school here and it was like boy the scene it's face lit up it's great, it was great. Yeah. isn't it yeah and I wouldn't say that if it wasn't true yeah, it's, yeah. I love so, all those moments or yeah. even just seeing someone like they were like I'll never be able to use Maya this I, like I had a student uh, again who will remain nameless but like he came back after a break and was like I quit I'm done. I hate Maya. It's the worst program I've ever used. And I was like, just no, don't do that. Let's meet with it. And he got an instructor. Uh, one of our instructors, Ron, sat down with him, just kept going over it with him a bit. Right. And and now, like, the work is, uh, like, second to none. Oh, that's great. And I always bring it up in class, though, like, oh, remember when you wanted to quit? You know, but, like, well, the idea is, like, thing. to me, it's just, I, I love that that seemed like you just said those little teeny moments of like yeah yeah that's nice um so who were some of your influences i know we were talking uh beatles earlier <laughs> yeah i well i'm i'm a i'm a weird i'm a music freak i love music but i can't play um well i can like three chords on a guitar okay but, i was uh, gonna say i thought you yeah, played yeah, guitar a little like bit clunky right um but the idea is uh my biggest influences are um Beastie Boys, Beatles, um, and I, I really love uh, like Shepherd Fairy and um, nice. Salvador Dali. When I was a kid, uh, I went to the Dali Museum in uh, Pittsburgh. Okay, when it was in Pittsburgh before it moved to Miami. Uh, uh, St. Petersburg, I think. St. Right? Petersburg, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I went down there and I did not expect to see it. And then all of a sudden it was just like, what's this? It's awesome. Uh, yeah, it's but, amazing. Uh, I, 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 you know, the picture of the leg coming out of the egg, <laughs> like uh -huh. that, that sold me from yeah. the jump. Uh, heavy Metal Magazine, that that's Mad Magazine. Like I, I grew up all of that. Uh, and then filmmaking, like uh, anyone telling a story when I was a kid, I, I, I loved like the movie Lucas and like all those like teen does good movies right um and then it, like but gus van zandt 
is is a still a huge influence of mine. It's it's really weird, uh, but I I watch my own private Idaho probably about once a year. Um, and so, what is it about that that connects? I, it's such a raw, weird movie, and I feel like. Uh, I don't know. It's, there's something weirdly tender about it. I, I, there's something about the narcoleptic character that River Phoenix plays that I I want to take care of him. Right. So weird. Um, but like I am amazed. And the reason I why I like to watch it is that uh, there's something so human um, about these two people kind of taking care of each other, and then the betrayal. I, I don't want to give it with the movie, but like it's been out uh, long enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. Spoiler alert. Um, Keanu Reeves sucks. No, but uh, <laughs> um, he's great in that movie too. Though then yeah. there's like a period of time, like uh, uh, again, like River's Edge. These movies with Keanu Reeves and Crispin Glover and all this stuff. Like I, I, yeah, I just loved. I loved media for the longest time, but so I, you'd be hard fast to come by my office right now and not have me playing music. Um, Beatles are huge. My dad was the biggest Beatles fan ever. Right. And I'm a big George Harrison fan. Um, I, I loved all of them, but like, it's, it's just amazing. But I, I, I find, I guess here's the thing, you should find inspiration constantly. So like for me too, I, like uh, even modern, I've fallen up with Mingus, uh-huh. Charles Mingus lately. Um, and I always kind of liked him, but now I'm just like head over heels for his music. Um, and that's influencing me in a weird way. Um, and then uh, not to be like uh, bandwagon us, but like the, the comics guys, um, uh, Jack Hanna, Stan Lee. Right. Um, you know, uh, Todd McFarlane. Right. Um, they, they influenced me greatly because I still, those, like, uh, I was an only child, grew up just constantly, books, movies, uh, had a 45 record player. I'd go steal my dad's Rolling Stones, Beatles records, Queen. Like, I loved it all. Um, nice. So that that's one of the things that I find most fascinating when you're talking about your process or what you're interested in. It's like the, the, it, how eclectic you are in pulling in from all these areas. And that's something that I always try to get across to students. And, and because we can get into these little departments, I'm in the film department. I have nothing to do with recording arts or you know, digital art or anything like that. You're pulling in from everywhere. I'm ADHD. Yeah, like that. <laughs> but but that's an important thing. I really think. So just real quickly on the White Album, we were talking before about how much you liked the new. Um, oh man, the yeah. new mixes and the Usher demos and yes, all of that. Yes. So the question came up. Um, it was great in 1968. Why not just leave leave it where it was? Why do we have to redo it? Um, and uh, what does that say about art? You know, is it constantly evolving or should we just... Well, I think just... the best... Okay, so art's about the process, right? right. So you can love um, a movie, Apocalypse Now, right? But what's that called? The Heart of Darkness? Right. That too. Come on. How amazing is it to see how Apocalypse Now was made and kind of peel those layers back? The White Album is a masterpiece. Like, it's classic. It's so many good songs, but... For me, it was always about like the idea of how it was made was that these guys hated each other while they made it. Right. These demos prove otherwise. Right. They were in a living room playing maracas, hanging out, laughing. Um, You see the craft and the love and the care and everything they put into it. It's awesome. Because the other other thought was... um, you know, there's so much. I've I've heard people say, you know, just release all the archives. Oh and man, pe- don't people do make their own mixes of the Beatles? You know, it's so I don't know if that says anything about art in general. Or I don't know. I think know. there's something about. Uh, okay, so I'm an amateur man. I'm right. not gonna 
I, it's going to sound amateur. Right. George Martin, George Martin's son, they know all that in and out otherwise. Right. Let them curate it for me. I don't right. want to hear everything Prince ever made. Right. Let, pick a hundred great songs that he has hidden. I'll take it. Right. Know? Right. So um, anything else that we haven't touched on that you wanted to um, kind of uh, talk about, about uh, teaching or, you know, I think it's always important to hear about the value of art, you know, because people sometimes dismiss, you know, it as kind of a, you know, a luxury or something that's peripheral to the real, you know, university studies, quantitative, uh, you know, STEM studies, things like that. So where would you, where would you, how would you answer that, I guess? Oh, man. If I... I look at it now as I have a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old. Right. The world is their oyster. And art, STEM, all of it ties together. So uh, you're going to be a surgeon. You need to know how to do a surgery. There's VR, AR components now that are going to reteach it. There's people that need to create it. Uh, I mean, that's amazing. So convergence. It's going to become transmedia in a while where like uh, – it's going to get goofy. Right. So um, why not? Like, why not make it look good? Why not make it an experience? Like, we're going to need to adapt and change as technology changes. But the idea is science and art are not separate. Um, they've only ever become separate when, like, was mandated. Right. Uh, but the idea is, like, I, I see it's going to become more and more of a kind of like a um, symbiotic relationship. That's great. Uh, and in education... Uh, to kind of piggyback, get back to what you're saying, uh, I think that um, for sure what's going to end up happening is uh, more and more it's going to seem as a viable career path. So I go out to a lot of high schools, and a lot of times parents are very um, afraid of like, hey, uh, look at these, look at this work my son and daughter is doing. I know it's great. You just spent a half hour looking at their portfolio, talking to them about it being great. I want them to be an accountant. And I have to be like, okay, you know, that's cool too. But, you know, look at, there's all these paths you can go down. It's no longer the starving artist. You're only a starving artist now if you want to be. But if you want to be a scientist who paints, the painting's not going to go away. You just have to foster it. Right, um, right. And there's actually a long history of artists that were also scientists, and, oh. you know, in the, uh, you know, before there was video or photography. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, these things were, you know, were together for a long time. I think so. the, the uh, spirit of experimentation transcends all of it. Like, Right, right. And, it, you know, you, you hear from anybody, Einstein, any of those guys, they talked about the inspiration, the creative process and, and I think what's great about what we've talked about with you is that you you have so many things to draw from, and that's one of the the kind of the key things in sparking creativity. I mean, is there anything else you would want to say about that? Uh, just embrace. I don't know. I feel like I, I, I yeah, no. Don't I, be afraid. Don't be afraid to. I don't know. Don't be afraid to be weird. Don't be afraid to like stuff. Don't like. Uh, don't be afraid to just like what you. I don't know. It's so weird. It's so. I, I have such a. Uh, it's, I, I used to be, this is going to, okay, that's how I'll wrap it up. If you would have known me 20 years ago, I was someone who very much would have judged you based on what you liked rather than what you were like. What I've learned is people are a sum of all those parts. Art is a sum of all those parts. So um, you, you said it earlier, like, how are you, like, you're like this, you pull from all these different things, right? But I don't think I could be me 
without all of that. And it's taken me a really long time to grow into the idea that I can like a little bit of country music, like uh, um, uh, Sturgill Simpson. I would have never listened to him 20 years ago. He's amazing guitar player. Uh, But the idea is now you start to see like, okay, all of those things make things great. So without punk, heavy metal, rap, classic rock, all of those make music great. Not just like one is better than the rest. Uh, so embrace the idea of, of really just letting yourself enjoy stuff. That that's I think we're afraid to enjoy stuff because we're afraid of if it doesn't look cool enough on Facebook or whatever. But like just enjoy it. That's it. That's great. And that's a great place to kind of wrap it up. Uh, thanks so much for coming in today. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, we'll have to do it again. Definitely. All right. Thanks so much. Well, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed uh, talking to Michael. Uh, he's a great colleague, and uh, I always feel like I learned something from him. Um, we talked about uh, our influences. We talked about uh, the value of art as part of ed- uh, education and um, just the, uh, the joy of uh, kind of uh, figuring out who we are as artists and who we are as teachers helping students uh, discover that in themselves. So uh, I appreciate you being here. I, uh, very special thanks to Peter for letting me sit in. It was a, it was a blast, and I look forward to doing it again. Uh, until next time, uh, enjoy, and uh, we'll see you soon.